welcome to Changing Academic Life. I'm Geraldine Fitzpatrick, and this is a podcast series where academics and others share their stories, provide ideas, and provoke discussions about what we can do individually and collectively to change academic life for the better. I'm really excited to bring you part two of the ongoing conversation with Dr. Marta Cecchinato because we've already had such great feedback from part one and so many people have already said how much they've got out of the listening to it and the particular strategies that Marta talked about for digital well-being. And I think you'll love this next um, ongoing part of the conversation So just by way of introduction, Marta is an assistant professor, a senior lecturer in the Computer and Information Sciences Department at Northumbria University in the UK. And she's drawing from research that she's done over the years with colleagues and students that's focusing on uh, how we manage the practical everyday negotiations with our various technologies to support our health and well-being. And she talks about this as digital well-being and in particular, micro-boundary management strategies. And she has a great handbook that really lays out some very practical tips and they linked that's linked on the web page. So in part two here, we pick up on the last question I asked her, which was, how's all the insider knowledge that she has around digital well-being and so on impacted the way she set up her own group moving into her senior lecturer role? And so in this episode, we talk about uh, you know, her stepping into leadership of a group and we talked about the, she talked about the importance of trust and how you go about building trust She also talks about getting involved in equity and diversity initiatives, in particular the uh, Athena Swan initiative at Northumbria and being uh, leading the production of their report there and then implementing the strategies that were promised in the report. We talk too about uh, parental leave and how managers can best support people, especially academics, going on parental leave And that leads to a discussion about her own parental leave experiences during the pandemic. And we talk about her own well-being strategies and what she's found most effective. And finish off with her sabbatical plans, which she's currently enjoying. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Marta Cecchinato and can take away lots of really practical tips and help. How, you know, you talked about setting the culture and you and having more responsibility in your own role and that. How has all of this insight and knowledge practically impacted the way you've set up your group and what you're trying to do in establishing the culture there? Um, I, I try to be very open about um, the expectations I have with with students, for example, saying, you know, take your time off, take breaks. I It's a trust relationship to an extent and that trust builds with time. Um, but if there is no trust, then all sorts of issues <laughs> arise. Mm-hmm. And, and it's also about being true to them and saying, you know, I'm struggling. I don't have all the answers. Let's find them out together. Mm-hmm. Um, let's, let's try to solve the issue together. Um, and 
Yeah, and, and I think again, it, it's about being very, very open and, and transparent with with expectations and, and communications because I think mm-hmm. that's one of the things I've noticed has made the most difference. Um, we, one example that's not specific to my my research group, but um, Northumbria Universities has a email policy of saying, please don't email outside of traditional working hours, nine to five, nine to six, and through some of the research I've done, it became obvious that certain departments and faculties maybe either, I'm sure they're aware of it, but maybe it's not as enforced or recommended as it is in the department where I am. And initially I felt like my freedom as an academic had been stripped away of like, oh, what, I'm not free to send an email at 9pm when I'm working. But I started to realize actually it's a putting more burden on someone else because if I receive an email at 9pm it's it's even if nothing is said it can create that expectation of like oh you should be working or um, especially if there's a power relationship involved Mm, Um, and and one of the things I did I remember early on when I started was share the booklet and say you know there are micro boundaries you can put in place use the delay send feature and send them so it's out of your mind you don't have to think about it but it's also not imposing any any onus on on the receiver it might create other issues of like at 9 a.m on a monday morning people get even more emails than usual but then again it's if you know that's the case you might set a different boundary and say okay I won't check emails until lunchtime on a Monday so I can get on with some other stuff or um and and we've had conversations within the department especially about these these things and and people get called out not not in a negative way but kind of reminded you know be mindful of what you might be doing what what pressures you might be putting onto other people which I think I think it's that constant conversation that needs to happen um that that is important because yeah yeah so I like the constant conversation about it like let's talk about how we communicate and the separation that you demonstrated there between I can choose if it works for me right now to be working at 9 p.m at night you know, I have the freedom to yeah. do that and being mindful and reflective about what the implications might be for someone else who isn't choosing to do that and what the possible consequences might be of you sending that email. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's it's also like I have the phone numbers of my PhD students. I would never dream to send them a WhatsApp about work. Mm. Um, because I know there is a power relationship and I know if I send them a WhatsApp message even if it's not, it is it is crossing a boundary to an extent. And and it's, yeah, it's about being very clear in, in yourself and having those clear communications from the beginning, I think, of what's expected. And, yeah. How do you build up trust? You said trust was really important. Um, I think... Hmm. That's a very good question. <laughs> I, I think showing, to an extent, showing your vulnerability and showing that you are human and creating mm-hmm. that relatedness with mm-hmm. someone um, and accepting the fact that 
this is something I've struggled with. I, I can be a control freak. Um, and, and I need to accept that things don't always happen the way I would do them. And I've been pleasantly surprised when I am able to take a step back and actually somebody comes back to me and be like, Oh, wow, you've done this and it's amazing. And I've never thought of this. And, and, and that's really the power of celebrating diversity and, and, and then it's through instances like this that I think trust then slowly builds up and, mm. and saying, okay, well, I'll give you that freedom, do some things, then come back and, or chat. Um, and also checking in with people, I think, and mm. saying, okay, how did you find this? Um, what did you learn from this? How can I help you? How can I improve you? I'm here to support you, um, especially in, in supervision relationships and um, I, I see that very much as initially I'm there to guide them, but then it's their work and it's mm. their research and it's about making them an independent researcher. So they should be taking the ownership and they should be managing me by the end mm. of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Was that hard for you as a, as a self-acknowledged control freak? Um, it was hard initially for, I think maybe for different reasons, because I finished my PhD. I, I had my Viva in May and like eight months later, I'd recruited my first PhD student mm-hmm. as first supervisor. And I felt like I was fresh out of my own experience, which in a way was really good because I felt like I could really relate and be very mm-hmm. honest and say, you know, I, I, I thought about it. Do I tell him? I've never supervised anyone as a first role. And I'm like, of course I do. Because again, that's trust, right? Yeah. You need to be honest about your, your weaknesses. And 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 I think in the end, we both um, fed into each other's kind of experiences and, and both grew from it. Um, but I think it was more the imposter syndrome that, yeah, I, I was like, I need to make sure that he doesn't fail because it will all be down to me. And Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. And it sounds like you've learned to just be a little bit more separating yourself from that. It is. It, it's, I mean, he, he finished, he defended a, about a month ago and he did brilliantly. So it's like kind of closed that, mm. that first transition. Mm. Um, but it's also learning as a game more, seniority and more responsibilities it's learning to delegate more and mm. that is something that um I'm I'm struggling with but at the same time I welcome it as an exercise I did this um leadership program that's offered in the UK called Aurora it's specific for women in academia and one of the things that was covered there was um, the distinction between a leader as a manager and sorry between a manager and a, a leader and they were comparing it to an architect and a builder so the manager is the builder they're very much about the mm. brick lane and everything and yeah. and the leader is more the architect it's creating that vision and then letting other people kind of um build up that vision mm. um with tools and materials that they want. Mm. Um, and so I, I'm learning. I, I'm still learning. Mm. 
And I think that experiences like what you reported where someone comes back with a solution or, you know, work that they've done, you go, wow, look what they've done and it just blows you away and it's so much more than what you could have done yourself is really important reinforcement in that learning journey to make it easier to to try to, to um, take on that more leader role rather than micromanager manager role. Yeah. At least that's my experience as well. Yeah. And I think I, I really don't like micromanaging styles and I've I've been very lucky that nobody's ever micromanaged me, <laughs> but I'm conscious of people around me that have experienced it mm-hmm. and I've seen the detrimental effect it can have. I can see the benefits, I can see why people might do it, but in the long term it doesn't help build that trust and that relationship, yeah. I think. Do you want to say a little bit more about the diversity role that you've mentioned yeah. a couple of times? So you said at the beginning you're the Athena Swan coordinator. So for people not in the UK, that's a – do you want to just very briefly say what that is? Yeah, so so um, there's this organisation called Advance HE um, and one of the frameworks um, that they have is, is this Athena Swan, which is meant to be – a way to advance gender equality within higher education. Um, initially, it was set up to be just in STEM, and now it's across any kind of higher education, um, or I think even research institution. And it's not just in the UK. I think it is um, international. And the idea is that universities and departments can apply for an award every, I think it's four or five years. Um, and you get three levels, bronze, silver, and gold. And what you have to do is collect some data, analyse it, and write a report about how your department or university is, um, what what it looks like, what challenges it's facing, and um, what, what you are doing as a department, as a university, to try to overcome those, those challenges to support more gender equality. Um, <clears throat> so I had started being involved in Athena Swan during my PhD. So Anna had asked me to help out with the psychology department um, at UCL or the PALS, Psychology and Language Sciences. And um, yeah, I found that kind of very eye-opening and fascinating and learned a lot through that process. And then when I started the job, I was like... <laughs> Can I please be Athena Swan lead? Um, you asked for that again. Role. Going back to that, in in my in my interview, I said yes, I'd be very very happy to be involved because again, it's like I I acknowledge that as an academic, you need to be doing citizenship activities mm. and be part of it. And if I need to do something, I'd I'd rather put myself where I know I'm going to be passionate and bring the best out of me. I think I hope. Yeah. Um, and there was someone else already leading it and a few different kind of start and stop um, scenarios. And then after my maternity leave, there was a director of EDI um, and she asked me, who was also my line manager, and she asked me, do you want to be involved in Athena Swarm? Would you like to lead it? Um, and I was like, yes, please. <laughs> um, and I think it's because I recognise there are issues in computing. This is across the board um Mm. and I came from a department at UCL where I did my PhD where there was more female professors than male professors and I was very lucky 
um, to have that environment and to have those role models. And then I came to Northumbria, which was a much more typical computing department. And there was only one female professor. Um, and so I was like, actually, no, we need to, we need to help change this. We need to kind of improve mm. um, the culture and the environment for everyone. And so it's not just a reporting role. It's, it's, is there a possibility to influence, make changes? Um, um, yeah. So, so you write a report, but then you also write an action plan. Um, okay. And the action plan is kind of the roadmap of once you then submit the, the report and get an award, you then have to follow through with the action plan mm. and make sure that you are implementing those changes that you've identified need to happen in your specific department. And this is so we submitted last spring and we got our award um, last summer. And now we're in the stage of like, okay, now we need mm. to implement these changes and make things happen. And um, one of the things that I have on my to-do list for the new year is to have this, create some sort of round tables within the department um, so that we can go through the, the action plan and make sure that everyone's aware of what needs to happen and how all these things fit within one another. Because mm-hmm. I've, I've sent out emails to different, people involved saying you know this is in your domain this is in your role you should be keeping an eye on these things or doing these activities but it needs to be something that everyone is on board and I think um having that collective experience Mm. um is necessary yeah how how in particular did your well-being lens play out um in the action plan um I think it, I think there was a few different things where we've had conversations around flexible working and and I've 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 struggled with this because I think there's a tension and again it goes back to language academics work flexibly by nature because mm. you're not punching a card in and out at the beginning and end of the day and nobody's stopping you from working at 9pm. And if you're turning up to class and doing your meetings and you're doing your job, you have that kind of flexibility of working around your schedule. To me, that's flexible working. But then the university has a policy called flexible working policy, which is about contractual changes to your contract. You reduce the number of hours that you're working. And so when we were asking people, do you work flexibly? It was unclear, like what were people meaning, and and, um, and how do we support that flexibility? Because it is so important for well-being, for feeling like you have autonomy in in, mm. in your job. Um, and it again, it, it goes back to that clarifying the language and the expectations, um, and making sure that everyone is understanding what we mean. So I have a. A, a quarterly newsletter that we send out where I kind of talk about EDI issues and things that come out from the data that we've collected for Athena Swan and action points. Um, and one of the newsletters also covered um, things around flexible working. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think I think the well-being comes through in in, in the action points, but then it, 
it needs to cover all the issues. So student life, staff life, work life balance and, and yeah. so on. Yeah. Yeah. I'd noticed that one of the projects that you're working on, or someone in your group is working on, is around parental leave and academics experience yeah. of that and how it can be better supported. You know, can you say a little bit more about that? Because that also that seems to tie into both the research angles of what you're doing and, and you know be an EDI issue. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely that that was another thing where I felt quite passionate about it. And the project started because um one of the PhD students I was supervising went on maternity leave. But that meant that the way the university was set up, she would be cut out of her email. She would be locked out. What? Because it's treated as a leave. Uh-huh. And um, so if you're off for mental health issues, for example, they don't it did it, it comes from a good place of like not wanting to put the pressure mm-hmm. on you. But it's a double-edged sword because it also feels like you're not our problem and you're out of our sight, out of our mind. And and obviously she felt quite hurt rightly so because it's it's like well why why can't I have access to it it's it's up to me in a way how I decide to treat my maternity leave it's not it's not a holiday and I might work I might not work and, and um so we got some funding to do some research looking at what were people's experiences of managing their parental leave like preparing to go to maternity or maternity leave or paternity leave or shared parental leave and then returning and what were the expectations and that's where I learned that different departments are not aware or people in different departments are not aware of like email policies that the university has and um, how there isn't really a, a unanimous experience. Um, and the UK has this thing. It's a government initiative called Keeping in Touch Days where you can take advantage of, I think it's up to 10 days during your maternity yeah. leave to yeah. keep in touch with your workplace and people use them for all sorts of reasons people might go to a conference they might write papers um or they might come to work to be in meetings to be involved and feel like they're not left out to kind of taper their return to work um, or negotiate workloads and again another thing that came out from that research is that people are not necessarily aware line managers are not necessarily aware of what a keeping in touch day is because although there's a lot of people that go on parental leave um there's not someone that goes on maternity leave or paternity leave every every week or every month necessarily mm. in a department yeah. so yeah. it's not on people's radar so one of the things that we've put in the action plan for Athena Swan is to have a kind of cheat sheet for line managers these are the kinds of things you need to consider when somebody comes to you and says i'm going to go on maternity paternity shared parental leave Mm. um and have this what we've called kind of a return to work package and have those conversations of like what is expected um and making sure that people feel like they have that um flexibility and, and and feel like yeah there is a welcome. your empowerment thing and control yeah. and autonomy yeah. issues. Yeah. 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 I guess for many, for line managers as well as for the people, 
because if if line managers have more clarity about what they can do and how they can support people, is there anything about your own? You talked about you know, your own situation being a parent. Is there anything about your own parental leave as well? You know, your experience of that. Um, well, I I did. I, so I did those interviews when I was pregnant about go maternity leave. Um, which was very insightful because I learned a lot of things that I wouldn't have necessarily learned about. And there's sometimes it, it, it all comes down to communication. And sometimes it's about, oh, do you know the right person in HR? Or have you come in contact with that person? Have they told you that experience? And and if we create more transparency and more clarity, then everyone's experiences improve. Um but yeah, I I was very mindful about. I, I was aware of like keeping in touch days and and how to make use of that and coming back and and thinking about what's my workload might what it might look like. Um, but yeah, I think I think doing that research was actually what helped me most mm. take advantage from a work perspective of making the most of my of my maternity leave. Um, it then was. <laughs> completely disrupted by the pandemic um but that's another story what what were the big challenges for you then in your own leave and coming back um well so i i gave birth in july 2020 and the weekend before pubs had reopened in the uk so people could go to the pub and celebrate but my husband wasn't allowed to come into the hospital whilst I was in labour with me. And that was kind of a symptom of, and he wasn't allowed to come to any of the hospital visits before. And it was just that sheer sense of loneliness and being Mm. abandoned Mm. in a way, like you have a health visitor. And at the same time, I also didn't know what I was missing out because I was a first time parent. So when I was talking to other people, they were like, oh, yeah, there was breastfeeding clinics and weigh-in clinics. And I was like, oh, oh, you had all this. Oh, okay. I didn't know. (laughs) Um, But in a way, it it was, I don't want to say necessarily a positive experience because it was a mixed emotions. But having Danny at home, working from home because of the pandemic also made it a lot easier for me because I wasn't alone Mm. um, with a newborn, with no support, no baby groups, no cafes I could go, no other mums that I could work, like, interact with. Mm. Um, And so at the beginning, because of all of this, I was like, well, I don't know what to do. This baby's sleeping a lot of the time when he did sleep. So I remember at the beginning I was, like, writing drafts of papers and I submitted a grant with my husband um, and and it's not what you expect to do in your maternity leave but I think it, it's also another issue around well-being of like my husband always makes fun of me of saying that I never used to switch off I used to only go on standby <laughs> and I think when when I became a parent, that kind of just continued, like uh, until I was hit with a wall of like pure exhaustion, lack of sleep. <laughs> and I was mm-hmm. like, actually, Martha, just stop it. Just enjoy this moment. And mm-hmm. um, and I think it was because in the pandemic, th- there was nothing else to do. And, and I was trying to 
I don't know, get a sense of meaning, I guess. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah. And then coming back to work, I, I really welcomed that um, because I was so alone during the day. Yeah. Um, I think I probably suffered from postnatal depression. And, and so coming back to work really gave me a bit more of life. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, it would have been a very difficult time you know, as a as an ex midwife. I, you know, sort of my heart goes out to people in these, you know, dealing with the 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 ups and downs, yeah, the mixed aspects of it. But you know, with all the constraints of the pandemic, as you said, and this is the second time that someone's had to say to you, Marta, just stop it. Well, I mean, I'm sure there are other times as well, but you know, you said, you yeah. know, Anna basically said the same thing, and then yeah, Danny said that. So it sounds like uh, it's good having people in your life who do see that and just. Yeah, and it, it's making me think that my son now does it as well. He's two and a half. And the other day he took my husband's and my phone and said, no, just leave it and took them away to the other room. Oh, <laughs> And I was oh. like, wow, this is very telling. And <laughs> like he's two and a half and he's noticing. And yeah, I, I think maybe this conversation is making me think I probably need more reflection of like my working practices and um yeah so he, he's your micro boundary yes he's creating very much is <laughs> wow so yeah um so you, you mentioned Danny and um writing a grant together so you're also part of an academic couple any reflections yes, on so. navigating that journey? Because that's always tricky as well. In you know that you're actually living in the same city together, and you know it's a big achievement. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So we we met um, during during our PhDs. So he, um, he also did his PhD at UCL, um, and because of that we kind of we talk about work in our research and phds um and i don't know it 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 just felt natural and we did different topics so there was not crossover it was just kind of like what's your experience as a phd student and, and so on and then as we transitioned into work we already had that kind of habit of always talking about work and we've had to regularly both during our PhDs and during work time just say actually let's take a stop and like let's not talk about work for a while because <laughs> this is taking over mm. and and I think you're right having having our son has very much become a micro boundary um as in it does help to kind of say no we want to spend more time um out in nature and playing with him and, and doing things and, and not necessarily spending time working and I think the pandemic has a lot to do with that as well and, and like really reshifting people's priorities and and my own priority of thinking actually we're really healthy and I had gestational diabetes so I was told to shield during the pandemic and mm. I couldn't go out or or I was at high risk basically and um it scared me and it made me think really okay well what is important I love my job but it's a job at the end of the day and just because I, I stop sooner and I don't work longer hours every day doesn't mean that I love my job less and mm-hmm. I'm probably setting a better example 
um, for others as well. Yeah. Yeah. Again, like a theme that comes across in so many aspects of what you're talking about is living with the the black and white, the pros and cons, the nuances of situations. So the you know the and the and finding learnings in it. Were there any other any other insights around you know other sort of priority areas that the COVID experience and and going through parenting in that time helped shift? I think that the the importance of being out in nature and um, because it, there was a time when we were only allowed an hour a day out mm. and I I think there's a bit of a grey area as to whether we could drive somewhere to be out for that hour um, and like really not taking for granted the fact that we have that freedom and like I live in Newcastle and there's gorgeous nature around us. And, and it's like, I really want to take advantage of this because when I used to live in Cambridge or London, like it, it took you hours to, to get out mm. in, into, into nature. Um, but also I think going back to that, that two body problem and, and work relationship, I think it is, acknowledging that there's so much more to life than than just work and so yeah having more realistic understanding and expectations of what what work is and I'm sure there are periods when I might be working later at night if I've got a deadline or I need to finish my marking um but it's about perhaps anticipating that I know that that will probably happen in January and in May and in September because of how the flow of the academic year works but then I take that into account and I take advantage of the fact that okay those are the times when I work more so when can I work a bit less to make up those hours Mm. Um, and yeah I think that's that's one of the big reflections that's come Mm. out of it Mm. that's finding them that perspective over time as well Yeah. yeah Of the many strategies in your own handbook and the things that you write about in your academic papers and that your students are working on, what are some of the ones that have made the biggest difference for you personally? You know, and and recognizing that everyone's different, and as you said, even within the same for the same person, situations change, and that. But what for you has been most impactful? Do you think um, having separate devices? So my phone tends to be my my personal device. Um, I I laugh because I I don't know how much I want to share this publicly. Um, One of the things that is a a micro boundary that I talk about in my thesis is a perceived boundary. And it's about saying, you know, I want you to think these are my boundaries because I don't want you to to cross them. I do have work emails on my phone. They're in a folder on like the fourth page of my phone. So um, it's not my kind of obvious muscle memory clicking to get to it. Um, And it's only there for me to keep an eye on things so that I know what to anticipate when I go back Mm -hmm. to work. I tend to not reply on my phone um, generally. I have, but it's, 
it's not a practice that I want. And I don't have Teams on my phone. I don't have Slack on my phone. I don't want that. I can access it, but I don't want it. And I think having this idea of, of perceived boundaries, I I personally don't like how instant messaging platforms like Slack or Teams tell you when somebody's available and online and whether they've read a message or not, because at work, but also in personal relationships, it creates this expectation of like oh you've seen my message you need to reply to me mm. when I first got a smartwatch I had a friend who said oh you've got a smartwatch you get notifications why didn't you reply to me I'm like whoa <laughs> I don't even have notifications come through to my smartwatch which is probably um an oxymoron but it, it, it is that expectation and we know from literature that that people set their expectation of how quickly one replies and and that's kind of set not almost in stone like the first time you reply then that sets a a threshold for the future times and and people really do take notice of how of online habits and online patterns of other people and so I know that you might be quicker at replying to me on on slack so I'll send you an email but then I'll be like oh you know here on Slack, can you please check your emails because I sent you that message. And for me, for me personally, it's important about having those perceived boundaries. So I turn off um, when I'm available on on instant messaging, and I turn off the read receipts because I don't want to have that pressure for myself. Mm. Um, and and it's not like we do, yeah. But it's not like I'm in a life or death situation or yeah. job. Yeah. So anything I do can wait an hour or the next day potentially. Mm-hmm. Um and, and like I said, I do keep an eye on things, mm-hmm. but it's about me being in control of when I can do that and how. Yeah. yeah. And you're going on sabbatical, you said you're just starting sabbatical. Yeah. What what are your um aspirations for your sabbatical you know you did talk about wanting to rethink you know think through more some of the definitions of work that you're doing and that but yeah how are you how are you going to approach sabbatical and what do you want from it and how are you going to enable that to happen um so I've had to write a plan for what I achieve in my sabbatical because every institution Uh, is a little bit different aren't they and how they get you to approach sabbaticals yep oh Okay, I didn't know that. I I thought everyone did it, and it it kind of made sense because I, I think yeah yeah right actually. There's usually it, it, some sense of plan. I think it can be quite daunting to say I've got three months to just do research, and I can imagine that things go by really quickly, and then you yeah. come to the end of it, and you're like, oops, and hopefully, knock on wood, that's not going to happen. But I have booked a writing retreat for the second week of my sabbatical so the idea is that the first week I've got all my ducks in order and and for a paper that I've been drafting for too long (laughs) and then use that writing retreat to kind of try to really finish it off um so that's kind of one tick um that one, one box that I can tick quite quickly and then one of the other things I wanted to do was submit a grant, but also set up a research network um, that is cross-faculty within Northumbria 
around futures of work and people that do research around future work from an interdisciplinary perspective. And I've already started doing that because I was like, I don't know why I need to wait for my sabbatical to do that, but it will give me more time to dedicate mm. organising events. And and actually, within a couple of meetings, we've got about 20 academics across the university who have come to me and said, this is really interesting. I finally have a phone, like I want to talk to other people um, that that do research in this space and, and that we can share from one another. And we've already started collaborating on, on a grant and I'm thinking about applying for funding to do another research um, writing retreat with them to kind of build this work even more. So um, I think I'm, I'm excited to, I don't know, have that time to like, a, sit and read books, like research books that I haven't. <laughs> cool. I, I don't. I don't give myself time to do. Mm. Um, oh. And and then just be excited about about research. I, I spent the last year working on this Athena Swan um, application and, and action plan, which has been great, and I really enjoyed it. But it also meant that my research kind of took a, a step back, and. It's given me more kind of energy to now go back to it more energized. And and again, it's testament to the idea that we need rest. We need to be able to take time away and, and reflect and not feel like you're pressuring to achieve, achieve, achieve constantly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, the sabbatical will be a lovely time to do that in different pace. Yeah. So how do you do rest in normal life like in in, in non-sabbatical time you know if you've you said rest is so important how do you find those micro moments of rest in the day um, um we spend a lot of time in nature and um, doing walks and, and whatnot um i also need me time and i like to just switch my brain off and not have to think and look like i say trash tv but like meaningless tv shows yeah. um and now since my son's been born, I do enjoy a lot spending time doing crafts and, and making toys for him and activities. Oh, um, so I spend a lot of time collecting cardboards, <laughs> making cardboard toys for him, which he loves and then destroys. And, and that gives me an opportunity to create a new one. And, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think it's I've, I've been enjoying doing more kind of mm. crafty manual, creative things. Mm. Um, Lovely. So are there any things that we haven't talked about that you'd you'd want to talk about or share or think other people could find useful? And I think for me it's it's this idea that I think microboundaries I'm hoping people find really useful, but it's this idea of spending that time and reflecting mm. on it. Um and, and recognising that we have some power to take some control. Like you did point to some of the institutional stuff yeah. and the culture stuff that you know, maybe we don't have as you know, much direct control over, but there are some things that we can do. And, and I think, again, um, another thing I learned from that Aurora Leadership Programme was that this understanding that I always thought that leadership came with very senior roles Mm. kind of top down and actually you can be a leader by just 
saying, actually, I'm going to set this boundary or, or, or do this thing and be an example for other people because you never know who it might influence. Indeed. Um, yeah. I mean, the setting up of your network that you said about the cross-faculty network is exactly an example of leadership in action. Yeah. And, setting and up culture I, in your group, um, yeah, stepping up to the Athena Swan, I mean... Yeah, and I, I think I, I I never thought I could do it until I started doing these things and mm. and again through practice, through doing small steps. Mm. Um yeah, it it just builds that empowerment, I guess. Mm. Yeah. What are the key skills you bring to that or the key strengths you bring to that, to your version of leadership in those situations? Um, I feel like this is a question that other people can answer for me, yeah, but perhaps um, I, I like to think that I'm good at listening. Um, and I, I really enjoyed that episode you had on the podcast with Oscar Tromboli, um, because I think it is really important to learn to listen and and, and not not jump to conclusions, not jump to solutions straight away, but just taking that time to to think. And um, and I think also being honest about knowing what I know I can do and what, where I know I can help and saying this is where I stop and I need to hand it over to someone else. Um, right, which also ties in with your strategy in, in, in how you play that out with your PhD students where you talked about you know being true and and being honest as a key part of how you manage yeah. those relationships as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Marta, thank you very much for your time today and for sh sharing with me and really excited that we got to do this and so much to go away and think about. Um, so all the best for your sabbatical. May you find time to rest and think and network and write thank you thank you it's been lovely chatting you can find the summary notes a transcript and related links for this podcast on www.changingacademiclife.com you can also subscribe to changing academic life on itunes stitcher spotify and google podcasts and you can follow Change ACAD Life on Twitter. And I'm really hoping that we can widen the conversation about how we can do academia differently. And you can contribute to this by rating the podcast and also giving feedback. And if something connected with you, please consider sharing this podcast with your colleagues. Together, we can make change happen. Thank you.